One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 147. My friends, it is time for another marketing Q&A episode. Every few months, I do a question and answer episode where I answer questions I received in my membership program, Making Good Happen, as well as some of the questions I've received over Instagram. In today's episode, we're covering a lot of ground. To give you a sense of where we're headed, here are the questions that I'm tackling in this episode. First, can you explain email metrics? What should I aim for? Second, what metrics should I focus on for my e-commerce website? Third, what kinds of content should I be thinking about putting out early in 2023 when things are quieter sales-wise? Four, how do you nail your content pillars? And five, what are your top three must-have marketing tools? So I do want to say up front that each of these questions could be its own full episode. So I'm going to do my best to not take all day and give a short, sweet, actionable response for each question. But if one of these questions in particular or two of these questions in particular are something you'd like to see more detail on, let me know over on Instagram at Lauren Tilden. And I would love to hear from you. We can always do a fuller episode later on. Okay, so let's get right into it. Question number one, can you explain email metrics? What should I aim for? Okay, yes, it would be my pleasure to explain email metrics. I'll talk about this a little bit later in the episode, but email marketing is my number one favorite form of marketing, not just because I'm old school, but because it works. Data proves that it is one of the most efficient ways to spend your limited marketing time and money. Emails lead to sales. And with email, we have access to some pretty amazing analytics that show us how our emails are performing for us. No matter what email marketing tool you use, you'll see numbers like your open rate, bounce rate, spam rate, unsubscribe rate, click-through rate, and conversion rate, among with a lot of others. In my mind, there are three of these that really matter the most. Your open rate, your click-through rate, and if you have access to it, your conversion rate. So let's define each of these. Your open rate is the percentage of people who received your email that decided to open it. If your email went to 100 people and 20 people opened the email, you would have an open rate of 20%. Your click-through rate is sometimes also called a CTR. This is the percentage of people who received your email that clicked a link in the email. If your email went to 100 people and three people clicked a link, your click-through rate would be 3%. Now, let's talk about each of these two in a little more detail. So open rates. Again, this is the percentage of people who received your email who decided to open it. To me, this is a very important number because it doesn't really matter what's inside your email if someone doesn't choose to open it in the first place. 
So things you can think about optimizing that affect your open rate are the subject line. Is it catching people's attention and curiosity? The time of day. When is this email coming to them? Is it a good time? And the sender. Does the person know that they love reading your emails when they see your name in their inbox? Are they excited to open it? Our goal is obviously to make our open rate as high as we can. But with email, our results vary widely by industry and audience. So there really isn't one standard number to aim for. Instead, you want to aim for an open rate that increases over time. If last month your average open rate was 20%, could you exceed that even by a tiny percent this month? Now let's talk about click-through rates. I would encourage you to have a goal and objective for each email you send. And most of the time, that goal should probably be to get the person reading the email to click a link to further engage with your website, your content, something like that. Maybe they click to learn about a product, to read a blog post, to check out a new freebie. But people can't convert into paying us if they don't take action to click. They can't do a transaction directly in your email. You need to get them to your website. So you might occasionally have emails where there's no call to action to click. But most of the time, we do want to be giving folks a good reason to get over to your website. Now, let's talk about that last metric that is important if you have access to it. And that is your conversion rate. This is the percentage of people who received your email that converted into doing your desired action. For example, making a purchase. So if 100 people received your email and two people who received your email made a purchase, that would be a conversion rate of 2%. Note that if you use something like Klaviyo, an email tool with Shopify, you will have access to this conversion rate where you can see if your emails lead to sales and how many sales each email generated, even the amount of revenue. But many folks won't have this data on which emails exactly resulted in which sales. So this isn't something everyone's going to have access to. Now, not every single email is going to have the pure focus of converting into a sale. But for the ones that do, this would be something to pay attention to and consistently try to improve. All in all, the only person that you're going to compete with when it comes to your email metrics is yourself. You want to aim for growth, for doing better and getting higher numbers over time. Figure out where you are right now in terms of your open rate, your click-through rate, and your conversion rate, if you have it, and aim to increase it over time. But because I know that folks really want to know, I'm going to link to an email marketing benchmarks website. It shows by industry what the average open rates and click rates are. And for retail, for example, the average open rate is 17.1% and the average click-through rate is 0.7%. So Take that for what it's worth, but my hope is that you focus most on yourself and continuing to beat your own track record. One last thing to think about with email metrics is going to be list growth. The fact is that people will unsubscribe from your email list. As you grow your list, this is going to happen for just about every email you send. You're going to see some unsubscribes, maybe just one, maybe more. This is just part of the deal. So it means that it's very, very important that we're always thinking about giving people a good reason to sign up for your email list so that overall it's growing, not shrinking because of those unsubscribes. So think about some kind of incentive that you offer people in in exchange for joining your email list, a discount, free shipping, a free download, a playlist, a quiz. There are so many options and I would love to brainstorm with you. Feel free to DM me over on Instagram at Lauren Tilden. Okay. Let's move on to question number two. What metrics should I focus on for my e-commerce website? So this person specifically asked about Shopify, but my answer isn't specific to Shopify. This is for anyone who is an e-commerce seller. 
Let me first acknowledge that there are a lot of metrics available to us. Traffic, bounce rate, session time, pages per session, new versus returning customers, conversion rate, average order value, just to name a few things. And we can certainly learn something from all of these metrics. They have their place. But I want to gear my answer toward the beginner. And I acknowledge that if you're anything like me, a big laundry list of things that you must pay attention to is more likely to overwhelm you than actually be helpful. So I want to break it down into plain English. In my mind, when it comes to websites, there are two main things that move the needle when it comes to actually making sales. One, we want to get people to the website. And two, we want people who are on the website to decide to make a purchase. So in metrics terms, the number of visits you get to your website is your web traffic. And the number of those visits to your website that results in a purchase is usually given as a percentage, and that is called your conversion rate. If in a given week, I get 100 visits to my website, and three of those visits result in a sale, my conversion rate is 3% and my traffic is 100 visits. At the end of the day, I got three sales. So let's say I want to make more sales than that. Well, I could focus on getting more traffic. So if I could get 140 visits to my website, and 3% of those result in sales, that would be four sales I would make instead of three. Or instead, I could focus on little tweaks to my website that improve my conversion rate. Let's say I'm able to increase my conversion rate to 4%. Then with the same original 100 visitors, that would result in four sales. If somehow I was able to focus on both getting more people to my website and improving the conversion rate, getting 140 people to my website and converting at 4%, that would be at least five sales in that week. So ultimately, I'm encouraging you to pay attention to these two things first and foremost, your web traffic, how many visits you're getting to your website per week or per month, and your conversion rate. Practically speaking, our goal as marketers is going to be focusing on increasing one or both of these numbers. So let's talk about a few ideas and how you can do that. You can increase your web traffic by sending more, better emails, giving people a reason to go to your website from social media, for example, by links in Instagram stories, creating great long form content that gets found in SEO or on Pinterest, getting PR coverage, having your friends and contacts spread the word about your business and link to it running ads that lead to your website, etc. You can increase your conversion rate by making sure that your website navigation is simple and easy to use, improving your product photos, improving your website layout overall, improving your product descriptions, making your website fun and interactive and an enjoyable place to spend time, offering limited time promotions, using cart or browse abandonment sequences, and having clear calls to actions that show people where to go. So I know this was a long list. You do not need to, nor should you tackle all of this at once, but try your hand at improving one or two of these things in each category and see what happens. So this would be a starting point of where I would start when it comes to what analytics you pay most attention to on your e-commerce website. That is your web traffic overall and your conversion rate. Question number three, what kind of content should I be thinking about putting out in early 2023 when sales are slow and there may be more visibility? So this episode comes out at the end of 2022, which is a very, very noisy time marketing wise. As business owners, most of our ideal customers are spending money this time of year, and we know it. Many of us have our busiest sales seasons this time of year. Also say there's going to be a lot of marketing coming out this time of year, a lot of emails, social media posts, ads, just a lot. And then in January, things start to feel a lot quieter. Things calm down. We take a break. Well, what does this have to do with anything? As the person who asked this question suggested, this time of year is actually a big opportunity. 
because the content you put out there is going to be competing a lot less. And I think we'll have a better chance at getting seen. So in terms of what content to put out there, the number one piece of advice I have is to start by keeping your ideal customer in mind. Who is your ideal customer and what does their life look like right now? What might they be focused on in the new year? This is the time of year for dreaming and planning and setting intentions. What does this look like in the life of your ideal customer? How can you meet them where they are with your content? So the first thing I would say about creating content this time of year is to create content that serves and adds value for your specific ideal customer, especially understanding what they're going to be going through and where they're at this time of year. What might your ideal customer be resolving to do more of in 2023? And how could your category relate to that? Not so much that you sell your product directly in this content, but so that you can create content that somehow relates to your business and also serves your ideal customer. Secondly, just in terms of your overall mindset toward your content, for most of us, our ideal customers are not doing a ton of spending in the first month of the year. So maybe we really use this time to focus on growing our audience and our email list so that when we get to a time of year where folks are doing a little more spending, we've increased our audience and therefore with the same conversion rate that we've had in the past, we'll be likely to make more sales. So marketing for growth might look like setting up collaborations with other small businesses so that you can jointly get in front of one another's audiences, pitching yourself to podcasts or PR outlets, creating reels and TikToks on trends in hopes that you'll reach new folks, doing some advertising to grow your email list at a folks when there will be less competition for ads and therefore ad prices will probably be lower, etc. I think this is also a great time of year for personal content. How are you doing? How are you feeling about this new year? What are your plans for 2023? What did you learn in 2022? What are your intentions? We love the behind the scenes details like these, so share them. Finally, this is a great time of year for spending time on the back end of your business to improve things so that they run smoothly all year, and especially when things get busier. Have you been meaning to switch email platforms or update your welcome sequence or something else more systems oriented? This would be a good time to invest in that. Question number four is how do you nail your content pillars? To answer this question, let's back up. First of all, what is a content pillar? Also sometimes called a content bucket or a content category, content pillars are topics or themes that you consistently talk about in your content and marketing. A lot of people's first reaction to this is that they don't want to talk about the same things over and over again, because won't people get bored? But the answer is no. Strong brands are created through repetition. When you talk about the same few things over and over again, people start to associate you with that. Also, it might seem counterintuitive, but giving ourselves some rules and constraints actually helps us when it comes to generating content ideas. Think about it like this. If someone said to you, write an essay about whatever you want. That's really overwhelming because there are no constraints. There's no rules. There's nowhere to start from. But if I said, write an essay about dogs or about body positivity or about mindset, that gives us a little bit more to go on. It starts to spark some ideas and give us a bit of a head start when it comes to coming up with fresh ideas. This is the power of content pillars. So back to the question, how do you really nail your content pillars? Well, first of all, I want to say that I have a really great free workbook you can download that will walk you through this process for creating your content pillars step by step. So I'm going to give you the cliff notes in this podcast episode today, but definitely go back and check out the PDF if you haven't already. It is very thorough and will definitely be a great supplement to this episode. So you can grab that at makinggoodpodcast.com slash content. 
So back to the process. The first step in identifying your best content pillars is going to be to collect some insights. Take some notes on the following questions. What are your ideal customers' pain points and struggles? What problems do they have that you can help them with? What are your ideal customers' aspirations as it relates to what you sell? What do they need to learn to get to where they want to be? Check your marketing analytics, things like Instagram insights or email insights for content that you've posted in the past or published in the past that has been most resonant for your audience. What have they liked the most, saved the most, shared the most? What are your business values? What questions do you get asked over and over and over again about your product, process, or industry? What do you love, love, love to talk about? What just lights you up and what do you never get sick of? After taking notes on all of these questions, you want to spend some time looking over your answers for topics or patterns. I know you're going to find some things that come up over and over again. I would recommend that you consolidate this down to between five and seven bigger topics. So for Good Sheila, for example, my content pillars are art behind the scenes, plants, nature, small business life and tips, small acts of kindness, and personal growth. So final tip here, don't be a perfectionist. You don't have to get it exactly perfect the first time around. You can revisit it and tweak it later. But give yourself the gift of starting with something. I promise it will make your content creation a lot easier. Okay, so question number five, what are your top three must-have marketing tools? This is a fun question, and I have a feeling that some of you listening are hoping I'm going to reveal some new flashy, shiny tool I found that has completely changed my world. I say this because I am always interested in the new flashy, shiny tool. But unfortunately, this isn't how things work. Great marketing isn't something that comes out of a tool. It's something that you practice, that you put time into and thought, and most importantly, that you execute on consistently. So my answer is going to be a very honest one, which is not necessarily the flashy, shiny tool, but what three tools play the biggest part in my marketing activities. The first answer is having somewhere to sell my products. So ideally my own website. I personally use Squarespace for making good, making good happen, and good Sheila, and Shopify for Station 7. Yes, I know that's a lot of websites. When it comes to marketing, you need somewhere to send people where they're going to make the decision whether or not to purchase and then actually complete the transaction. Your website plays a huge pivotal role in your marketing. So that's going to be number one. The second must-have tool for me is an email marketing tool. If I had to pick email marketing or social media or pretty much any other form of marketing, I would pick email marketing all day long. It is a more effective way to reach your audience, and it's something that you have ownership over. You're not at the mercy of a social media algorithm that may or may not show your content to your followers. It has consistently been shown, scientifically, to have a higher return on investment than social media. So again, I'm less concerned with which email tool that you use because generally they do most of the same things. But I currently use Klaviyo for Station 7, which I would recommend for anyone with a Shopify store. And I use MailChimp for Good Sheila, Making Good Happen, and the podcast. A great user-friendly option for folks just starting out is Flowdesk, and MailChimp even has a free version. The third tool that is very critical in my marketing is Canva. I pay for the Canva Pro subscription, which has some extra perks, but even with a basic free Canva subscription, it does a ton. It is an incredible tool for designing graphics and visuals. I use Canva created graphics on social media, in my emails, on my website. I use it to resize things, to make gifts, to do just about anything visually. I design my presentations for making good happen and other presentations I give in Canva. 
I use it for everything. And probably my favorite thing about Canva is that it's actually fun to use. Maybe this is just me, but I always have a good time playing around in Canva. It's so much easier and more intuitive than other graphic design programs I've used, and it is way cheaper. Okay, so those are my three must-haves, and website tool, and email tool, and Canva. But I decided I'm going to give you one fun, shiny bonus tool. This is something I've been using now for at least a year, and I really love it. This was recommended by podcast guest Hallie McPherson, who joined me for an episode about taking your own product photos. That's episode 96. Anyway, she's a photographer, and she recommended the app Tezza, T-E-Z-Z-A, which is a photo editing app. There are tons of photo editing apps, and I used to be very attached to Adobe Lightroom using presets. However, there is one thing that Tezza does that most other photo editing apps don't do, which is that it allows you to apply the same editing filters to photos and to videos. This is really, really helpful, and it makes your content look consistent, and this is why I use Tezza pretty much daily. I take photos and videos using my phone's camera, and then most of the time before I post them, I just pop them into Tezza, apply my filter. I use Yum on 50 to 75% intensity, not the full filter, if that makes sense. And I export it back out and voila, nicely edited, consistent images that look a lot better than what I take straight from my iPhone. So to round that up, I use a website platform, an email provider, Canva Pro, and my bonus suggestion is Tezza as my must-have marketing tools. Okay, deep breath. So that's what I have for you today in today's marketing Q&A episode. I hope that you found this helpful. Again, let me know if you'd like to hear a full-length episode on any of these topics. I love creating episodes based on your requests. You can DM me over on Instagram at Lauren Tilden. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-L-D-E-N. You can find the show notes from this episode at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 147. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be super grateful for your support. Here are three ways that you can give back to making good. First, I would be honored for you to leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to subscribe and follow. Second, if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast, send them the link. This episode is at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 147. And finally, take a screenshot of your podcast player while you're listening to the episode and tag me on social media at Lauren Tilden. I would love to cheer you on. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.